Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Uh, we are so honored to have Pat Boone on. He's a, a national icon. It's stunning. Not only is this man, Rosemary and I were privileged to go to his 80th birthday. Yes. And I had no idea how many movies he'd been. I knew some of the basic songs and a few movies. I had no idea uh, the, the enormous number of movies and, and then songs that he had done. It was way beyond what I could possibly grasp. I, I also have learned, Pat, it's my understanding, you have owned maybe as many as two basketball teams. And in your 80s, I, you're 89 now, in your 80s, you have played basketball on a, a basketball team made up of guys in their 80s. Is that correct? Welcome oh, yeah. Pat and share with us, here's what I want to hear from you in these few moments that we have together. The next 15, 20 minutes, just tell us, how did you stand for your faith in a place like Hollywood? You are you really are quite remarkable. Coming after you is going to be Kurt Cameron in a few moments. He'll be sharing a little bit as well. Pat Boone, we welcome you to the World Prayer Network call. Wow, this has been so great, and I'm thrilled by it. And, and, uh, and Ted Bear knows how supportive I've been and how involved I've been with him. And I've even been to meetings out of the state at times just to encourage, but to hear that number of people that are actually coming to him and wanting to guide, to receive his guidance about films and other things as well is thrilling because it's such a positive. We need to hear some of these positive things. And I remember uh, years ago, when you sort of electrified the Christian community, I thought, by letting us know that things were not all lost then. You were, you, were, you were letting people know about the good things that were happening. And I've forgotten exactly what that particular program was, but you became known to me and to others, uh, giving statistics about how well the church was actually doing, as, as was mentioned a while ago when God told uh, the prophet, Look, there's I've got a few thousand people that are still doing the right thing, so don't give up. And so we're living in a time where it's very demoralizing, I think, for Christians. But for me, you ask a question about how in the world I stayed a Christian through all of this for 70 years now. Uh, <laughs> it's that I was blessed by God at the beginning, after I'd become saved at, at 13, barely 13, and and knew then that, that that I was a child of God. I mean, that's the way I thought of myself, because it was true. I believed the Bible, Matthew 10, 32. As a kid, I read for myself before my younger brother, well, he was baptized before me, but I wanted to know why. So I was reading through Matthew, Matthew 10, 32, where Jesus says in red letters, if any one of you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. In heaven, if you deny me, I'll have to deny you before my father and the angels. Well, for a guy barely 13, that's understandable. You know, it's almost like sinners in the hand of a, an angry God. And my book, which I will plug, it's called If, and it's my, I've written other books that were million sellers. And this one hasn't arrived at that yet, but it's on Amazon. And it's not written for religious people because the Barna and Gallup and the pollsters have all verified that fewer than 50% of Americans 
today now go to the church or a temple or a synagogue. They may go to some movies, thank God, if they're good movies, good for that. But they're, they're not worshiping any place. They don't read the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says. They, they don't know if there is a God. And if they do pray, they're not sure anybody's hearing. So it came to me while I was still mourning the loss of Shirley on my own. I, I thought I felt that God was having me write a book for the non-believer, for people that are not interested in a religious book. In fact, the publisher wanted me to put on uh, nice comments from Franklin Graham and David Jeremiah and others, you know, commending the book. But as you may see, you can't see it there probably, but there's a warning sign, not religious, life or death. Down below the eternal choice we all must make, just that one word, if, and the four corners of the book look like they're singed, like it was pulled out of a book burning. Because I want people that are not looking for religious books to be attracted to this and say, if what? If, if what? Well, open it up and find out. <laughs> and, and when they do, they'll, they'll see something about me because my first question is, uh, answer is to the question, who are you to write a book like this? And I tell them something about me and my life, which as I come back to the beginning of your question, Knowing I was a child of God growing up, and when my career fell on me, when I was 19, or almost 20, and all of a sudden I was having hit records, and I didn't, you know, I knew, I didn't think of myself as an exceptional singer. My role model was Bing Crosby, who made it all seem so easy that I, I wanted to be like Bing Crosby. But I wound up singing rock and roll, one heart's not enough, baby. Two hearts will make you feel crazy. One kiss will make you feel so nice. Two kisses take you to paradise. Two hearts, two kisses make one love. Well, that was not a Bing Crosby type of a song, but it went, it sold a million. The next was, you made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? And I was suddenly recording rock and roll songs, but I had married at 19 to Shirley. So all the publicity that came out as I became a teen idol was that I was married, I was still in college, and by the time I graduated at 23, I was on the cover of TV Guide in my cap and gown uh, because I had the, one of the number one shows on TV, the Pat Boone Chevy Showroom. The youngest guy at 22, 23 to ever have his own musical variety show with all the other big artists coming on my show, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, Perry Como, Sammy Davis, everybody coming on my show to sing with me. So I'm on the cover of TV Guide, graduating in cap and gown. And you open it up and there's a picture of my wife, Shirley, and my four little girls at 23. Now, this, was, this all happened to me. And I knew as it was happening that this was God. It wasn't because I had some amazing talent. I could think of a dozen people right then who I thought sang better than me but I was having hit records and they were not what I expected to do, but it was rock and roll, but it was making me a teen idol. So Shirley and I, my wife both knew that this was from God and we were grateful that all the publicity back then uh, made sure that everybody knew I was a Christian. I was active in church. I was leading singing at the church in Manhattan, uh, a small church, but I was sometimes leading often leading the singing and teaching Sunday school. This was all part of the, what the screen magazines and the film and the 
and all the teenage magazines were reporting about me. So I didn't have to come out and tell people that I was a Christian. They knew it already. And therefore, uh, my life, even in the entertainment business, uh, has been an exception. But even people in the business who tell me they used to make fun of me over the years have come to respect me because I succeeded against all the odds, against all the torrent of ridicule sometimes and, and, uh, and jokes about me and the goody goody two shoes guy, Dean Martin and his own shows. We were friends already because we played golf together, but in his shows, he would say, you know, that Pat Boone's so religious. I shook hands with that boy the other day. My whole right side sobered up. And, uh, and these were just jokes what I would tell of myself in my own shows, quoting Dean about me. So that was a blessing that I was always known to be a Christian. Now, the, the, the obligation was to live like one, you know, and not bring shame on Jesus. So my wife, Shirley, fabulous, spirit-filled woman. In fact, what changed both of us when we came close to a divorce once was getting the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which renewed our, not only the love for Jesus, but the love for each other. And our kids got the benefit of that. They were already thinking they might wind up being like all their friends, spending one time with one parent and some time with another. No, no. Shirley and I, we're not going to let that happen, especially when we uh, received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so from then on, we had Bible studies in our home for entertainers. We had some, I'm looking at the pool right now. We've had over 300 baptisms in our swimming pool, so we keep it heated. And, uh, and during the Jesus movement of the 70s, that's when the, all the you know, street preachers were out there. And, and some of those street preachers were teenage kids who were preaching to other kids. But they wanted to be baptized like the people on the day of Pentecost was. But many churches in Beverly Hills don't baptize at all anymore. They might sprinkle. They might pour a little something from a spoon. Or, you know, they don't baptize. And so these kids wanted to do what the Bible said. So they said, well, let's go over to Pat Boone's house. We, he's got a, a baptistry in his backyard. Well, it was a swimming pool. <laughs> but so these things, amazingly, were part of our lives. And it kept my feet on the ground and my love for my dear wife, Shirley, intact. And, and knowing that my four daughters, what kept us together, one of the things that was one of the, part of the glue for us was looking at our four girls that we loved more than we loved ourselves, knowing that there was only one chance for them to have the kind of life growing up with a, a loving mama and daddy uh, that we wanted them to have in a home that was intact and, and full of love. Only one chance with me and Shirley together. And that was part of the glue that made us want more than anything to, to recapture the love that brought us together anyway at 19 and then kept us through those early years of the career. And then things had did come up that were either tempting or distracting or just took all my time away and and we were surely not not staying as close as we had it brought us back together the what we had promised the lord not just each other and the fact that we wanted our children to have that ideal home life which nobody could give them but us 
And so <laughs> all those truths and those facts are what kept me together. I didn't care that I didn't get invited to the premieres anymore or the Hollywood parties because I didn't find any fun in them anyway. And all of our friends, we didn't have many close friends in the entertainment business, a few because we had nice relationships with Bing Crosby one, Frank Sinatra another. So I wasn't doing bad, but, uh, <laughs> but most of our friends were church folks and would come to Bible studies in our home and we went to uh, the various uh, Christian activities and would see each other, all of those. And so that life, that we lived here at home in this house where I still am now in our 67th year, which was a miracle that God gave us. That's what kept my uh, reputation, my rec reputation intact and also kept my heart pointed in the right direction. Are you awake? Oh yes. This is, this, uh, I got to tell you, Beth, this is, this is rich. This is rich. We, I well, used to put people to sleep when I started. Oh, no. oh, quite the quite the contrary. I, I I'm quite taken by your story. It, it, it's amazing how you kept anchored in truth. And yeah. over the years, you probably saw a lot of people come to Hollywood who had a faith, who were not adequately anchored when they got there. And you saw some unfortunate things happen. Keep keep walking us through this because I think this is. What you're, what you're educating is more than the story of Pat Boone holding steady, but you're help preparing hearts of people across America that we're going to move in more intense <coughs> than we've ever been in before. And, and those tests that we're going through, yeah. we, we have to be tethered to Jesus and Jesus alone. So I want to encourage you to continue on. This is, this is frankly, it's riveting, sir. Well, let me thank you for that. I, I I was so pleased at Ted Bear when he said he had 17 great-grandkids, because I do too. Did he say grandkids or great-grandkids? I think he said grandchildren. Yeah, I've got 16 grandkids and 17 great-grandkids, thankfully, Shirley and I. And, and by the way, uh, people talk about they're so sorry about Shirley passing. I said, she went upstairs. She didn't die. <laughs> Shirley's living and she's interceding for me right now, saying, Lord, please, Pat's way too busy. Cause him to slow down, will you? Uh, and I know that uh, I'm getting benefit from Shirley being right at, with the Lord, already looking in, in, in one of those mansions that he said he had prepared for those who were faithful. She's uh, tidying up one for her and me when the time comes, and it probably won't be long. But uh, my kids and I are going through a, a period where they are church people, they're lo Christian loving people, my daughters, their, their kids in some cases uh, have tended to stray and I'm not gonna name any names, but, but they're caught up in the woke uh, society. They, all of their friends do these things that are, that are wrong and get involved in stuff that's detrimental to their faith. And, don't go to church at all. Therefore, their lives are quite different. And my my grandkids, and hopefully not yet my great grandkids, are swept up in all of that uh, that tide of that's tempting all the young people today. The internet, uh, the, the TikToks, and the and the Snapchats, and the and all the other TV ways. They 
communicate with each other. And then they all pick up on all the rotten stuff that kids are subjected to today and not, no, nothing protects them. And, um, and I'm trying, I, I've written now 50 something letters to my own daughters and they, they keep thinking I'm either condemning or that I think they're not being faithful. And I keep saying, no, what I'm trying to do is what the apostles did. They were writing to settled churches, Corinth and Ephesus and Laodicea and Pergamum and Smyrna. They, they were writing to settled churches, warning them not to get caught up in all the things that were already infecting the church. Our churches today are losing the way. They, they figure unless they try to stay somehow related to all the bad stuff that people are in, that uh, and if they condemn it, as the Bible does, that they will lose membership or lose support. We're supposed to be taking bold, tough stands. That's why this book is written not for churchgoers or for Christians. It's written for people that are not interested in a religious book. But once they start reading this and find the principle of this, that the word if is the most important word in the Bible, uh, because every promise of God comes with an if. Every single one from uh, from the Garden of Eden to the Book of Revelation, and I can quote uh, because I have. This is now my forty-fifth year to read the Bible from beginning to end in the wonderful three hundred sixty-five day daily Bible, where the whole Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, and uh, Old and New Testaments are divided into three hundred sixty-five portions, and every every year and every day as I compare what's happening, what did happen with God's kingdom on this earth, which was the people of Israel. They were his family. They were his kingdom. And they disappointed him time after time after time. Even the kings put their own children into the fire, sacrificing to put pagan idols, the kings of Israel. And God got so fed up, he warned and warned, sent them into captivity a couple of times and finally extinguished them from the earth. For 2,000 years, there was no Israel. Now, as he prophesied and promised, there, Israel has been renewed. But even now, today, uh, things are being uh, approved and celebrated in Israel as they are in the United States that are abominations to God. And, uh, and, and in our country, we're like the churches of, of Laodicea and, and, uh, and, and Ephesus and all the other churches I visited with with the Green family from Hobby Lobby last year. I went to all the churches in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the Middle East where Paul's missionary journeys took him and he established those churches. And I was with the Green family and it was phenomenal uh, to, to go into the, for instance, into the big amphitheater in Ephesus where Paul, you know, they were gonna stone him to death. And I stood up, in that uh, in that amphitheater, most of the people had left, but I stood up and sang, Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder, and I sang How Great Thou Art in that arena where, where Paul nearly got stoned to death, and I visited the other churches too, but it all comes to life when you go to Israel or go to those places, but it does when you read over and over and over again, you see how connected the Old Testament, as the Paul, as the Bible says, was written for our example. How it compares to where the church is today, God's family on the earth. But here's the truth that has come so 
so solidly to me, James, is that, that the Bible, King James made a terrible mistake and was re responsible for dividing Christians and Jews, divided the Bible into Old Testament, New Testament. So now Christians think the Old Testament, they're not interested. And Jews don't think there's anything for them in the New Testament when neither recognizes that from beginning to end, the whole Bible written by Jews, about Jews, for Jews, about a little country called Israel from whom would come a savior for the world, himself a Jew, and, and they would come, he would come first and the gospel would pre be preached first to Jews. All first, almost all first century Christians were Jews. But if we hadn't separated the Bible in that way, then Jews would read right from Malachi and, and Micah, where, where it's prophesied the Messiah would come in Bethlehem. <laughs> and then you go right into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all Jews written for Jews about the history of Judaism. And you'd find the Messiah came and was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophets foretold. But he would come to his own and his own wouldn't recognize him. And he would be wounded for our transgressions. He wouldn't be a, a, a you know, a, a glossy, famous king like Solomon. No, he would be a wounded servant. And uh, it's laying down his life for us. And with his stripes, we would be healed. All of that is written by Jews for Jews. And we let it get separated. And now I think the things I'm most involved in right now uh, is that I, on TV, on TBN, uh, met James Garlow. I'm not James Garlow. <laughs> I, know, I know him. I've met him. I'm trying to say too much. Uh, what's his name? Who wrote the book, uh, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah? What is it? Khan. No, no, that's Rabbi Khan. That's something else. No, the, the name of the guy who I know so well, I gave a copy of his book to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now get this, God gave me the, the opportunity as he has so many other times to, uh, oh, here's, I don't have the book in front of me, but um, uh, to talk to Prime Minister Netanyahu, who is a friend of mine. Every time I'm together, he calls me speedy. Because when he was at MIT in college, he was a fan of Elvis and a, and a friend and a fan of mine. And he loved my record of Speedy Gonzalez. You better come home, Speedy Gonzalez, away from Tannery Row. Anyway, he loved that. And so whenever we're together, he says, hello, Speedy, come on in. And so I was with him a couple of years ago in Jerusalem in his office, just he and I, asked him if he knew Rabbi Itzhak Kaduri. He said, of course. 105 years old, he said he he was my strongest supporter always. I stood in the street with 300,000 other Jews when they played the shofar at his passing. Why? And I said, are you familiar with the uh, controversy since his passing? He didn't seem to be. I said, well, he revealed the name of your Messiah. He said the Messiah appeared to him, told him his name. He's written it down in Hebrew, and it's in his book. And Netanyahu looked at me and said, which is the name? I said, Yehoshua, and I heard him say, Jesus, yes. <laughs> Yehoshua, Jehovah saves. Yeshua uh, comes from that, Yehoshua, from that is the word for salvation. Jesus' name, who knew in Christendom that Jesus' name was salvation? <laughs> well, that was his name, Yeshua. 
we knew about ministers know it, it that Jesus comes from Yeshua, but they don't they don't inspect to find well, what does Yeshua mean? Jesus' name is salvation for the angel said he will save his people from their sins. Carl Gallops was the name of the guy that wrote the book, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. But then when I told Carl that I'd had this meeting with the prime minister, just he and I, and heard him say, Jesus, he said, don't worry, the publisher called me the next day after your meeting, and Netanyahu ordered 30 copies of the book. So he and all his friends, and that some of them are Bible scholars, in fact, even the Messianic, I mean, the uh, rabbinical students of of the old rabbi, Kaduri, are now, they're still Orthodox, but they are Messianic Orthodox Jewish rabbis in Israel. And so it's happening. And it's the kind of thing that Jim Garlow, I knew so well, <laughs> would have been talking about years ago when, and as Ted Bear was just talking about, God's at work. God's, he's not giving up on us. He, he will have to eventually give up on America unless we change our course. We're not a nation under God anymore. We're a divided nation. And both Jesus and Lincoln uh, said a nation divided against itself cannot stand. We are very, very badly uh, divided. But uh, if we become a praying nation, again, a nation under God, which we can't really claim to be, because if less than half of us even worship, then uh, we've got to get back to praying, seeking, and living the life and realizing that if you reject Jesus' word, you're rejecting him because he is the word made flesh, as John said, to dwell among us. And when you reject his word and try to excuse away things that he clearly says, well, that was for back then, not for now, uh, then you are rejecting him. And that helps me understand just recently, just because I was reading in the uh, in the uh, one year Bible about uh, in, in Luke about the Last Supper, how Judas, uh, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And he said, is it me? And he said, it's the one that dips the sop. I mean, the bread in the uh, sop. And I think the sop must have had some of Jesus blood in it. But anyway. Uh, or, or some kind of wine or blood, because when when um, Judas dipped that sop with Jesus, Jesus looked and it's what you're about to do. Do it quickly. And and Judas went out then, and and it says in Luke that that's when the demon entered him, because up till then, that that film series, the the I mean on TV, the Chosen. And I'm very familiar with the people doing that and and um, and and follow it so closely. They tell that episode of where Jesus told his 12 disciples, I'm dividing you two by two. Don't go out singly, uh, two by two. You go out, preach the gospel in the villages and towns. And as you do, uh, you, you pray for the people that come to hear you and you will heal the sick. And you'll cast out demons. And the, the guys are looking at him like we all were. What you're expecting us to do what you do? And and he and he commissioned them to do it. One of the 12 was Judas. I've never heard anybody <laughs> talk about the fact that Judas himself went out as one of the 12 and preached and cast out demons, not him doing it, 
but the authority of, of the Holy Spirit and Jesus was performing miracles and in, in their to their teaching as they told him who Jesus was, why he came, what the gospel is. But Judas was one of the 12 apostles. And the demon didn't enter him until after he had already planned and, and, and negotiated for 30 pieces of silver, thinking, I think, that it's not going to bother Jesus. He'll just shrug it off like he did when they took him on the cliff in Capernaum to throw him off the cliff. And he just walked through them and, and, and went on his way. And, and so Judas was motivated by his own greed. And, and when Jesus said, go do what you're, uh, what you've committed to do, it, he took it almost as permission. And then when he saw what had happened, you know, he went out and hung himself, but it was, was the demon took advantage of his own inner uh, failings as a believer. I mean, one that was right there in Jesus presence for his whole ministry. And that's what's happening now in, in some of supposed churches where they, they're falling under the, into the temptations of the world. And that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, now I can understand how he said, on that last day, some will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do mighty things in your name, cast out demons? And you're saying, depart from me, I never knew you? Well, how could that be? They cast out demons. Yes, they did mighty things. Yes, so did Judas. Have you ever heard anybody preach that? I never have. <laughs> it's all news to me that Judas was one of the 12. And he did mighty things in Jesus' name. And yet he still succumbed to the temptations of the devil. And that can happen in our churches today. And that's why I'm trying my best to keep my daughters teaching their kids the word as they learned in our house. Because if they don't know the word and the grandkids, I mean, what's going to happen to these next generations? If they don't know the word and don't believe and aren't trying to live like Jesus wants us to live, just, you know, lip service because they may attend something somewhere, but they're not living the life. Uh, that what Jesus said couple of times they said i didn't come to bring peace i i came to bring a sword and it will divide families mothers from daughters and 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 sons from fathers because my word people are going to have to make a choice to believe it or or receive and receive it or reject it and that's people that are so theoretically and are at this moment saved I, I do I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you're sharing. I'm going to go with my wife for some questions right now. She's been to Israel 75 times. Wow. And so has a deep passion. And she is so excited what you have been sharing. Uh, she's, she is so affirming so much of what you have said. Rosemary, you want to ask him, particularly one song in particular you want to hear about. Well, this is Israel's 75th anniversary of her rebirth. And you are... A modern-day Davidic psalmist, songwriter, and yep. prophet. And you wrote Israel's second anthem. The first anthem, the Hatikvah, was written by Jews at the turn of the century. Yep. But in 1960, the Holy Spirit gave you, a Christian believer, a Christian Zionist, Israel's second anthem. Can you share with everyone that powerful impartation and how God brought the song, The Exodus, into your heart and into the world. I love to do it. I really do. It's quite a story. 
uh, it was uh, 1959, I think the beginning of 1960, Christmas. And uh, so it would have been the last of 59. And the song by Ernest Gold, the melody had already become a worldwide hit, but a, just an instrumental hit. Bum, 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 bum. Well, I wanted to sing something other than bum, bum. I wanted to sing words that uh, that belonged on that melody and was told by the publisher that there would be no words because various Jewish songwriters, some of them with many great credits, had tried to distill uh, 2,000 years, 3,000 years of history into that short melody. And they, they, they were three men who had the veto power to accept or reject the lyrics. One was Otto Preminger, the director producer of the film. One was the publisher, Chapel Music, and the other was uh, the, the guy who, Ernest Gold, the composer. And one or two of them had rejected all the lyrics. So the publisher was saying to me, there won't be any lyrics. I said, I couldn't take that. I had to sing it. I felt led. And so it was Christmas Eve. Shirley was begging me to quit listening to that Ferrati Teicher piano duo record, putting a needle on it just to get an idea to present to some Jewish writer, not thinking of writing it myself. But Shirley says, please, Pat, I've got to get these presents wrapped so we can go to bed, please. I said, honey, one more time, put the needle on the the 33 and the third album, bum, 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 bum. And it's like I heard words, this land is mine. And I said, wait a minute, that's the whole story. God gave this land to me. In 20 minutes, I just took dictation, playing the needle, putting the needle down, playing the next portion, next portion, until, until I die, this land is mine, spoken from a one-person standpoint. Not, not all those millions of people but one current Israeli and his wife. So walk this land with me, take my hand, walk this land with me. And if, and, and though I, if I must fight, I'll fight to make this land our home until I die, this land is mine. And instantly all three of the people who could have vetoed that lyric said, yep, those are the words. Ernest Gold said, yes, those are the words, the composer and uh, the, the publisher and even Otto, yeah, yeah. He was German. He said, yeah, those are the lyrics. <laughs> anyway, uh, so then I recorded it right away. And then it's been sung by other singers, too. But I still, I, there's a, a guy there at Yad Vashem, the, Hilo, the Holocaust Museum in Israel, uh, Shaya Ben Yehuda. When Shirley and I, we were only there about 20, 20 times. But on one of those visits at Yad Vashem, he came up to me with tears in his eyes, great, big, strong guy. But he says, you don't know what those words you wrote mean to us here in Israel. I said, Shia, I think I do. At that point, I've read through the Bible 22 times. <laughs> I know the history of the people of Israel. And, and I know God's intent and God's love for Israel. So, uh, And I know that he said you would come back and never be driven out again. It'll never be taken from you again. And he said, well, anytime I get discouraged, I put your record on and I play it. And he said, you must have written those words on something. Could When you pass, can we have uh, whatever you wrote those words? We want to put it on the wall of the righteous Gentile with Oscar Schindler and, and Corey Ten Boom and the others. I said, look, I'll give it to you right now. 
but I need you to know it was on the back of a Christmas card. And he, he said, so much the better. He said, we know Christian evangelicals or evangelical Christians are our strongest allies. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't have Israel today. So, so I have, there was another ceremony the next time I went over with Mike Huckabee with Shirley and we were there and they had a big ceremony at Yad Vashem and there was military and governmental people and they accepted my Christmas card and framed, uh, but it's, you, you know, it's open so you can see the lyric. I know it's, it's back to back. You don't see the Christmas message on the front. You see the lyric of Exodus on the back, but they know that it is a Christmas card on which I wrote those words. So uh, it's just God. I mean, he gave me the, the lyrics, the desire to sing the song. It's not an easy song to sing, uh, but but Shia Ben Yehuda said, you know, we have a campaign in Israel right now that not all children can sing that song, but we want every child in Israel, every Jewish child to know those words by heart. This land is mine. When I see the morning sun reveal the hills and plain, I see a land where children can go run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me, though I'm just a man when you're by my side. I, I, I won't recite the whole lyric, but, but they want every Christian child, uh, I mean, every Jewish child in Israel to know those words by heart. So for a Christian guy in Nashville grew up you know, just an Anglo child in Nashville to been given the opportunity to write those words, which are the words, it is considered the second national anthem of Israel. Hatikva and Exodus are the, are the two anthems uh, claiming the right of Jews to Israel and it will never be taken away because it was given by God. But they don't realize yet that we Christians are also born into that same family of his chosen people. <laughs> they don't understand why we evangelical Christians are so supportive of them. And I wear a chai and I'm again David, the Christian, I mean the Jewish symbols, and let them know that I am an adopted Jew. And that's why I, I'm as a Christian, uh, I feel such an identity uh, and a closeness to everything truly Jewish, to every every Jew who is a tr true Jew, and to Israel. I mean, we're family. We're, as they call, Luntzman, kinfolk. It, it, it's quite remarkable. I, I just jotted down some notes here as you were talking. I'm so appreciative of what you shared. 45 years, you've read the Bible through every year for 45 years. You, um, you and Shirley have been a, a model marriage. You, you talked openly. There was a point, some point of strain, and the Holy yeah. Spirit spun that around. You're writing letters, you're writing epistles like the apostle for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and who knows how many generations will come uh, long after you have graduated to heaven with Shirley that will be reading that, that will be drawn back to the faith of you as the leader of this, of this family. And you haven't lost your passion for evangelism. Every time you pick up that book, If... I can see you light up with expectation that unbelievers can come yeah. to know him. You still you still weep tears for the for the lost. Uh, it's a pretty stunning life, Pat Boone. I'm not yeah. saying this to accolade. I'm saying this that Jesus in you is so strong. The power of the spirit within you is so 
evident. And you're 89, but it's pretty apparent your energy and your mental acuity, yours is strong as ever. This is quite uh, this is quite a remarkable life, and we're very honored. Ruth. Very well versed. He's, yes, yes. He's, that's the name of our ministry, by the way. Well versed. <laughs> well versed. That's my goal. Yeah. I mean, I I envy the people that seem to be able to just remember old chapters. I haven't tried to do that, but I but I I in, intake it uh, every day, uh, seven days a week now for the forty fifth year, and I I would do want you to know about one other thing, a song. Or I did tell you about Yehoshua, I think. Did I did I just tell you in this interview about Yehoshua? No. Uh, well, about the conversation with Benjamin that not who you did. Yeah. Well, I had to write a song about that, of course. Oh no, and, you didn't tell us that. So I've written the song that Christians and Jews can sing together in the chorus. I I don't know it in Hebrew, <laughs> but but the uh it is the chorus, it is uh Yehoshua, 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 all glory, praise, and honor to the Lamb. He shed his blood to save us, that sacrificial lamb. Uh, he is the one, the great I am, the Lamb, the one, the great I am. So it says all those in the chorus. And uh, and then I tell the story in the video, which the chosen producers have given me footage from from the series, The Chosen, first century looking uh, uh clips to use in our video which we are i think i think you can see can they where can they see that clip yehoshua dana patboon.com you can see okay the video and hear the song that i wrote yehoshua and uh and the video and i just i believe it's going to be used i know it's going to be used by god because he wants his name exalted he is god but he wants you to know his name Jesus, particularly Yehoshua, Jehovah is salvation, is his name. <laughs> and, and that's where Jesus uh, has his, his main name, which is salvation, Yeshua. So I, I'm trying to teach that in this song and, and the video, which is now on patboon.com. And of course, we, we're hoping it's going to get uh, go nuts like my um, current song, Grits, a song that came to me in a dream recently. Um, uh, and I, this is the truth. I dreamed I was having a big country hit record. And I came out of the dream singing the first verse, grits, grits, bestest food there is, country caviar, Tennessee foie gras, hey, grits, grits, bestest food there is, keep your fancy food, give me my grits. And it goes on from there making fun of escargot, them snails have got to go, pate, what is that anyway? All these hors d'oeuvres that are given and, you know, when you attend something, you have to stand around and they pass stuff around for you to eat. And sometimes you don't like it when you get it. But to give me some grits. Well, that song is 60,000 people have downloaded it just so they can learn the grits line dance, which they have to be listening to my record to do. Well, this is it came to me in a dream. Well, where, where did that dream come from? And the rhymes and the definition of grits as country caviar, Tennessee foie gras. I didn't make up those words in that definition. It came to me <laughs> a dream. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. And so we're selling grits on one hand and then my new album, 
uh, coming out of uh, it's unusual, ununique. It's absolutely unique, not ununique. It is unique. Of uh, twenty-five million selling hits, country hits in one album, country music stars. People don't usually sing each other's songs. Uh, if George Jones has a hit, then nobody else sings it. Uh, some a lot sing Hank Williams songs, but generally they leave other country artists songs alone. But I have recorded 25 million seller hits and it's in one album. I was doing in my albums along the way. So I didn't have to, I'd recorded two new things, Grits and then a, a duet with uh, um, with the uh, Crystal Gale, Crystal Gale. And it was a song called uh, Just You and I with Eddie Rabbit. Well, he's been gone 10, 10 20, 20 years, I think. But he, uh, but that song, was a million selling hit and Grammy winner at the time. So Warner Brothers and Crystal Gale had me sing with her a new version of that song, uh, Just You and I, and we dedicate it to my wife, Shirley, and in the in the video of it. So, uh, and Crystal Gale was fine with that. So I'm still going strong and uh, <laughs> and singing. I'm going to do a, a, a show in, at Coach House October, 20th I think it is I wasn't sure I should do it coach house in Santa Margarita I think it is 21st, 21st. Oh, oh 21st not 20th 21st oh San what is it? San, Juan San Juan Capistrano I need somebody to try to give me data my friend Dana is here just if I I'm trying to say so much in our short time and I really talk way too much but there's so much for me to tell and my feeling is I'm asking God to use every last scrap of me that he can for whatever purpose it will serve, uh, even if it's just for gravy later. <laughs> I tell you, I, I was thinking we would talk 15 or 20 minutes, but I'm telling you, this has been so helpful, so encouraging, so anointed. I knew we were just to, just to keep going, keep going. I got a couple more, just a little more unimportant stories his personal ones. I, 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 you have been around so long. I remember as a 10-year-old standing in a, there was a Baptist church in our hometown. We were Wesleyans. We didn't go to the Baptist church, but we happened to be there for some reason and seeing a poster of you. I was 10. You would have been 26. And and, and it, it was Twix 12 and 20. Yep. Was What's on that? I remember that as a 10-year-old. A book that I was asked by a secular publisher to write for teens because you know, I thought I was going to be a teacher preacher when I married Shirley at 19. And then my career fell on me and I began to recognize while I was still in college, they asked me to write this book. And so, I, as you said, I was 22 at that point, making the movies April Love and some of the memorable films. And, but during the uh, weekends and after at night, I was writing a book for teens of moral advice, spiritual, yes, biblical, yes, but but guys as just moral good advice on how to live. And I, I didn't know if it was going to do anything. I hadn't written another book yet. And, uh, and so I just committed any proceeds to a startup Christian college that would, they were trying to get going in Villanova, Pennsylvania. Uh, some, uh, a wealthy family had given their estate to some Christians and they had, had a, the big wrought iron fence around it. And they were going to try to create a, a Christian college. So I said, hey, you can have all the proceeds from this book if there are any. Well, it turned out to be about a million and a half in 
1950s dollars and it's it helped the school get started and when uh, and the kid and it was a million selling book not just in this country but in other countries and other languages so i mean god was just dropping things and opportunities on me back then and we stopped in villanova to see the school that had now been created from my book and there on the uh and the uh, above the entrance to the main building which had been the mansion uh, of the people that gave it and there carved now in stone was boone hall up there on, above the entrance to the main administration building and i and i i had just graduated from college thinking i was going to be a teacher teach english and and bible but there i was already my name carved on a on the, the admittance to a, a christian college that had been created with dollars from my first book so i mean god just has been good enough to utilize me in ways that i never even imagined and so if i keep talking it's just because there's so much to say three three quick personal stories and i want to just ask you kind of a, one more fun question um i was a student at asbury seminary back in the early 70s and you came to asbury college yeah and performed there i was at that concert heard you uh, so so long ago and then the, the talk that you referred to where i talked gave hope for the church that talk was called the church alive and well where i do a walk through 2000 years of church history in one That's hour it. yeah and i gave it at jack hayford's uh, pastor's conference yes about 1992 or 1993 november it was the month i believe and uh i did a roast of jack hayford on the, <laughs> you may remember that roast I I, for about five or ten minutes of roasted him and that roast ended up going around the world because of that roast he invited me back for a number of other times and he invited you and I together to come to his home for some one of his birthdays. I can't remember when it was a small group of us. That's where I actually met you personally for the first time. One other little kind of fun story. You were performing, you and your family with your daughters were performing for the Kansas State Fair. I think the town was Hutchison, Kansas, if I remember correctly. Could be, and yeah. You had had uh, my, my brother, um, Bob, twin brothers, Bob and Bill. Uh, and, and he was a high school sophomore, and he was so excited that you were there. He was wearing an FFA jacket, and he went to a security guy. He says, I want to meet Pat Boone so bad. Please swap jackets with me. They swapped jackets. He came to your tent. You had a, the green room was a tent, and he climbed under and said, Pat Boone, I want to meet you. And your daughters, they went <laughs> to him. You'd had some threats against your life, and your daughter started screaming. My brother was so horrified. He, he got out of there. He was. He just wanted to meet you. He, he was so excited to, to meet you, my and brother. I've been so happy. I didn't actually get to shake his hand. Huh? Future <laughs> farmers of America. I was very much in favor of them and did stuff with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, my brother later he graduated to heaven three years later at, at a plane crash, but oh. he he wanted so badly uh, to see you. This this may be uh, just for a fun thing. Can you sing the first line? I, how, how many songs do you think you've recorded? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. More than Frank Sinatra, 1500. More than Bing Crosby, my early role model, 2000. Oh. I have recorded 2,600 songs and three of them in the last year. And oh. I'm, st I'm still going to be doing more. So I've recorded over 26, more than any artist in history. 
It's just unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's gospel albums. I mean, the Gospel Music Hall of Fame with some 20 something gospel albums, country albums, um, uh, rock and roll, movie themes, jazz, uh, two a cappella albums, because out of the Church of Christ, I learned to lead singing in a cappella congregations. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. I could lead three or 400 people without a microphone. And uh, and so I did a cappella albums. But it, and then I did an album of heavy metal classics, which you may remember some a lot of uh, a lot of controversy about. And I got kicked off Christian TV briefly because it looked like I'd gone over to the dark side by recording No More Mr. Nice Guy, Alice Cooper's song, and Crazy Train, Ozzy Osbourne, and Smoke on the Water, and all these other heavy metal things. But I had found there were some good lyrics underneath all the cacophony, and the way those guys did them, I did them with big band swing orchestras, and, and it became a huge best-selling hit. Uh, but I went fine took a fine tooth comb over all the lyrics. There was nothing in any of the lyrics, but the people were seeing me in leather and tattoos and stuff on the American Music Awards, thought, well, Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker, now Pat Boone, we've lost him. Look, he's gone over to heavy metal and and they didn't know, you know <laughs> that I had done a perfectly good, very good musically uh, album and it was going to go almost to number one instantly because of that show and that that publicity. But uh, but it was it was totally innocuous. And and Ozzy Osbourne moved in next door to me and he did Crazy Train. You know, I did his song and I tuned in to see their show when it when it, it was the Osbourne family. And I hear my version of his song, Crazy, Hey, That's How It Goes. And it's his his song. I'm singing his song as his theme song my version of it and he moved in next door and of course i was able to share some I, i'd like to say that i led him and sharon and the kids to the lord but we didn't we didn't hang out really <laughs> with with any of the same people and he was gone most of the time and i was gone too much of the time but we got along great and uh i won't go into some of the ways he phrased what he thought about me, but it was all favorable. But with his uh, his uh, unconsciously profane language, he just talked the way he came up. He grew up in in the hard scrabble England. He said I would either have been a criminal or a musician, and I'm glad he chose music. But I really liked him and Sharon and the kids, and and he was my neighbor. Pat Boone, this has been stunning. I really want to continue. But I'm forcing myself not to take advantage of this. If uh, if we possibly could, at some point, I'd love to come back for a part two, and uh, continue this if 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 we could have that honor. And well, I've got a few interesting things to tell you still that I'll hold back on them. Okay, is it okay if we have you on again? Oh yeah, I'll tell you about the time the two times I had the Royal Crown performance with the Queen of England. First was great. The second time, I embarrassed myself terribly. But I'll save that, save that for the next time. I want to hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like they did the biggest deal in the history of Shark Tank. 
Uh, I don't know if you do you watch that show ever. I love Shark Tank. I, that's my favorite show. It's not well, my wife's favorite. I love it. I did the biggest deal in the in the history of the show with with Robert Hershevik, who then went to Dancing with the Stars, and left his wife and married the dance instructor and never gave me the courtesy of a phone call. It's it's a uh, five million to build the first plant of the car that operates on highly compressed air. It's the real thing. But I'll, it's too much to tell you now, but I'll tell you next time. But the biggest okay. deal in the history of the show, and it's still dangling there for, and I'm not through uh, bringing that to pass. My, okay, listen, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to call you tomorrow. <laughs> let's, let's schedule when I can get you back on. This is, this is too rich. This is too good. It needs to be, it needs to be captured. Wow, I, I feel like I'm talking way too much. No, no. This has been spectacular. And, and let me just say this. Um, I think it'd be really cool for us to end. You pick any hymn you want. Exodus. Well, Exodus, uh, okay. It could be Exodus. She wants Exodus, but whatever hymn, maybe Exodus plus one other or something. And, and do uh, close out with that. And then we're going to be praying for you. If you have time to stay on at all, and if you don't, I understand. But we have a team of people praying for you in just a moment. I suspect you're going to need to run, but you have time to sing, at least sing us a song of your choosing. Sing the first parts of two or three, because I, I need my song book so I don't mess up on the lyrics. I'm a song leader, but I always had the song book in front of me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. That's one. Another is... Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the world and uh, I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior song to the Savior yeah, God, God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And I, you know, I can sing those songs usually have to have the lyrics in front of me unless I've rehearsed them, you know. And of course, uh, uh, Amazing Grace, we all know that and, uh, and all the other songs. But I love the songs I used to lead in, uh, in church. Like it just came to me again as I was reading about Jesus. Uh, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Bum, 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 ba -dum, ba -dum. I mean, I don't know all the words after that, but Savior. What like is your favorite? What is the, of all the hymns, oh, be your favorite hymn or be in the top, top five? Well, I've just mentioned some of them. Uh, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Um, um, goodness, amazing Very grace. Uh, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy da 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 da. I don't know all the words to to all <laughs> okay. off the bat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't sing them all, except unless I'm leading them. Occasionally, I will uh, feel the need to just open the book and sing some songs that I know and want to be refreshed with. But uh, anyway, I'll learn a couple to sing them all the way through next time. We'll have you back and tell those stories, and then we'll have the Pat Boone hymn sing-along. <laughs> okay, that's a deal. We'll do it. We'll try and, to do it. In the meantime, everyone go to patboone.com. There's yeah. a lot there. 
patboon.com. Taylor, getting this book for your unsaved friends and family yes. because it's stark, it's loving, but stark. And the if is God wants to bless you in every possible way if you want it, if you want Him. Even uh, one of the uh, meaning of the scripture was coming more plain to me today in my own personal private communion. Um, but he that believeth in me, I will in no wise cast out. He that believeth in me, not on me, not just he that believeth that I exist, but he that believeth in me and worships me and wants to be like me and please me. Uh, that's the kind of people he's going to bring to heaven. Not those who just uh, say, well, I was, a, I did, I went to church a few times or I even did some good things. Well, were you ever, did you ever ask him to save your soul? <laughs> did you ever commit your soul to him personally? Uh, did you ever commit your life to him to live like him and, and to please him with, in everything you do? Well, no. Well, nice knowing you. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not that callous, but but it is it is that direct. It is that crucial that we know what the ifs are in wow. every blessing that He offers us. That is so. That's so that's a that's a creative cover. That's remarkable. The, the burnt edges and that just if it makes you want at least thumb through it and say, what is what is if if what? Yes. The first That's thing in it is the story I tell about the destruction of the first human race with the flood. Only eight people survived that. And uh, God started over again. And from them, from Shem, Ham, and Japheth came all the tribes of the world after that. And he continued to look for somebody. He found Abraham eventually who would listen to him. And he found others who would listen to him. Uh, and, and he could build, keep trying to build his family on people who would actually believe in him, not just know he existed, but that but I, we want to be like him and want to please him. And uh, that's the kind of people he's going to gather. He's creating a forever family, a family he wants to spend eternity with. And he's not interested in people who are really not interested in being there. I've heard people say, well, heaven sounds like a very dull place. I think hell might be better. I've heard people say that even entertainers, if you got to save me, Jesus, please don't do it now. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> well, I tell you, we're going to go to prayer for you. I'm going to have Rosemary lead in prayer for you. Then Mary Al Bowman, you'll unmute and be prepared to lead in prayer for, for Pat. I, I'm just curious, a light question. Are you still playing basketball? Well, I go out and shoot. I was bat shooting baskets with my grandkids yesterday afternoon. But I must say my grandkid was doing better than me. But I, the last, that comes from uh, the senior, some kind of senior fellowship, uh, National Seniors Organization, where every two years they have a big convention and, and, and uh, seniors starting 50 and overcome 50 to 100 or whatever the latter years may be. And they come and they play all the sports. And it, it, I went to Cleveland and played in the 70 to 75 bracket. Uh, it's three on three basketball, 20 minute halves, referee, you know, all the whole thing. And then um, then I played in the 75 to 80 bracket, 
And then I played in the 85 to 90 bracket was the last time I was there in Albuquerque. And then I decided, well, I'm through playing basketball. But uh, if you go to, if you Google Pat Boone behind the back pass, uh, you'll see me in that first, I think it was the first or second time I was playing with the seniors and a six foot five guy between me and the basket. I couldn't get to the basket. And one of my teammates coming the other way between us and the basket and just spontaneously I bounced past the ball to him, hit him in stride and he scored. And somebody was videotaping that. So it's, it's, it's up there on the forever. <laughs> what a joy to be with you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.